Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracles. This is the seventh topic in the lessons episodes, the undoing of fear. Fear, the Course says, is the opposite of love. Fear is an ego response to the world around you. Fear is not real, not part of reality. It is created by you. You have the ability to undo it. The key to undoing fear is to master love. The original text talks about fear. There's not a lot um, in the extensions of the book, but the I'm going to go back to some of the chapters in the original text and quote some of the things that were said about fear. So on in chapter two, the separation and atonement, there is a section called fear and conflict, and that is on page 28. Paragraph one says, being afraid seems to be involuntary, something beyond your own control. Yet I have said already that only constructive acts should be involuntary. My control can take over everything that does not matter, while my guidance can direct everything that does, if you so choose. Sentence four says, fear cannot be controlled by me, but it can be self-controlled. Fear prevents me from giving you my control. The presence of fear shows that you have already, sorry, sorry, shows that you have raised body, next page, 29, thoughts to the level of the mind. This removes them from my control and makes you feel personally responsible for them. This is an obvious confusion of levels. Paragraph two says, Sentence five says, you may believe that you are responsible for what you do, but not what you think. The truth is that you are responsible for what you think because it is only at that level you can exercise choice. What you do comes from what you think. You cannot separate yourself from the truth by giving autonomy to behavior. Paragraph three says, it is pointless to believe that controlling the outcome of misthought can result in healing. When you are fearful, you have chosen wrongly. That is why you feel responsible for it. You must change your mind, not your behavior, and this is a matter of willingness. You do not need guidance except at the mind level. Correction belongs only at the level where change is possible. Change does not mean anything at the symptom level where it cannot work. Paragraph 4 says the correction of fear is your responsibility. When you ask for release from fear, you are implying that it is not. You should ask instead for help in the conditions that have brought the fear about. These conditions always entail a willingness to be separated. At that level, you can help it. Paragraph 5 says fear is always a sign of strain arising whenever what you want conflicts with what you do. This situation arises in two ways. First, you can choose to do conflicting things either simultaneously or successively. This produces conflicted behavior, which is tolerated to you, intolerable, sorry, which is intolerable to you because the part of the mind that wants to do something else is outraged. Second, you can behave as you think you should, but without entirely wanting to do so. On the next page, Paragraph six, sentence 
5 says, The lesson here is quite simple, but particularly apt to be overlooked. I will therefore repeat it, urging you to listen. Only your mind can produce fear. It does not, it does so whenever it is conflicted in what it wants, producing inevitable strain because wanting and doing are discordant. This can be corrected only by accepting a unified goal. Paragraph 7 says, The first corrective step in undoing the error is to know first that the conflict is an expression of fear. Say to yourself that you must somehow have chosen not to love or the fear could not have arisen. When the whole process of correction becomes nothing more than a series of pragmatic steps in the larger process of accepting the atonement as the remedy, these steps may be summarized in this way. Know first that this is fear. Fear arises from lack of love. The only remedy for lack of love is perfect love, and perfect love is the atonement. And then on page 31, chapter 9 says, Everyone experiences fear. Yet, it would take very little right thinking to recognize why fear occurs. Few appreciate the real power of the mind, and no one remains fully aware of it all the time. However, if you hope to spare yourself from fear, there are some things you must realize and fully realize. The mind is very powerful and never loses its creative force. It never sleeps. Every instant is it is creating. It is hard to recognize that thought and belief combine into a power surge that can literally move mountains. Fear is totally in our control. This is one of those things we miscreate. We not only have the power to undo it, but the purpose to. What is it for? What is its purpose? Fear only decreases our ability to see our journey and understand our purpose. Fear is debilitating, and it separates us from one another. It is a conflicted mind. The only thing producing fear is you. Fear arises from a lack of love. The only correction is love. Fear stems from a lack of self-love. If you don't love yourself, you will always fear what is around you. You will make choices to counteract your fears. You will alter this life's purpose to be a slave to fear. Why would you want to impose this upon yourself? Why would you not want love? On page 31, so in the same section I'm at, cause and effect. I'm going to read a couple of things from cause and effect. So paragraph one says, you may still complain about fear, but you nevertheless persist in making yourself fearful. I've already indicated that you cannot ask me to release you from fear. I know it does not exist, but you do not. If I intervened between your thoughts and their results, I'd be tampering with the basic law of cause and effect, the most fundamental law there is. I would hardly help you if I depreciated the power of your own thinking. This would be in direct opposition to the purpose of this course. Paragraph 3, which is on the next page, page 32. Both miracles and fear come from thoughts. If you are not free to choose one, you would also not free to choose to not free to choose the other. By choosing the miracle, you have rejected fear, if only temporarily. You have been fearful to everyone and everything. You are afraid of God, of me, and of yourself. You are mis 
perceived or miscreating us and believe in what you have made. You would not have done this if you were not afraid of your own thoughts. The fearful must miscreate because this misperception, this, sorry, because they misperceive creation. When you miscreate, you are in pain. The cause and effect principle now becomes a real expediter, though only temporarily. Actually, cause is a term properly belonging to God, and his effect is his son. Paragraph 5 says, Nothing and everything cannot coexist. To believe in one is to, to deny the other. Fear is really nothing, and love is everything. Whenever life, light enters darkness, the darkness is abolished. What you believe is true for you. Fear does not exist. The Holy Spirit can help us to release it but she cannot release it for us. We are the ones in control. Fear comes from our thoughts. It is created in our minds. Love and fear cannot coexist. To believe in one, you must deny the other. I believe it was this chapter that I told the story of how I conquered a fear. I have not conquered all of them, but I am working on it. I think I only have one left. A big fear for me was darkness. I was afraid of the dark. I believed it to be unsafe, and therefore I made it unsafe. I relinquished that thought with the help of the Holy Spirit and told myself that I had no need to feel fear. I shifted my perception and released those feelings. It worked. I do not fear darkness, and I don't fear the dark. Chapter 24 is the goal of specialness, and on page 511... And I have to go to 5.11, so bear with me here. 5.11 is the salvation from fear. And I chose paragraph 1. says, Before your brother's holiness, the world is still, and peace descends on it in gentleness and blessing so complete that not one trace of conflict still remains to haunt you in the darkness of the night. He is your savior from the dreams of fear. He is the healing he is the healing of your sense of sacrifice and fear that what you have will scattered with the wind and turn to dust. In him is your assurance God is here and with you now. While he is what he is, you can be sure that God is knowable and will be known to you, for he could never leave his own creation. And the sign that this is so lies in your brother offered you that all your doubts about yourself may disappear before his holiness. See in him God's creation, for in him his Father awaits for your acknowledgement that he created you as part of him. Paragraph 2 says, Without you there would be a lack of lack in God, a heaven incomplete, a son without a father. There could be no universe and no reality. For what God wills is whole, and part of him and part of him because his will is one. Nothing alive that is not part of him and nothing is but nothing is but is alive in him. Your brother's holiness shows you that God is one with him and you, that what he has is yours because you are not separate from him nor from his father. Paragraph three says nothing is lost in you in all the universe. Nothing that God created has he failed to lay before you lovingly as yours forever. And no thought within your mind is absent from your own. It is his will you share, his love for you, and look upon yourself as lovingly as he convinced 
and as he conceived of you before the world began and as he knows you still. On page 512, paragraph 5 says, Look on your brother and behold in him the whole reversal of the laws that seem to rule this world. See in his freedom yours, for such it is. Let not his specialness obscure the truth in him, for not one law of death you bind him it to, not one law of death that you bind him to will you escape, and not one sin you see in him but keeps you both in hell. Paragraph 6 says, sentence 4, within your brother's holiness, the perfect frame of your salvation and the world's is set in the shining memory of him in whom your brother lives and you along with him. Let not your eyes be blinded by the veil of specialness that hides the face of Christ from him and you as well. And let not the fear of God no longer hold the vision you were meant to see from you. Paragraph seven says, choose then his body or his holiness. <coughs> Sorry. As what you want to see and which you choose is yours to look upon. Sentence four says, and where is your salvation if he is but a body? Where is your peace but in his holiness? And where is God himself but in the part of him he set forever in your brother's holiness that you might see the truth about yourself set forth at last in terms you recognized and understood. And the last part I'm going to read in that is paragraph 13, which is on page 514, 514, says, You who believe it easier to see your brother's body than his holiness, be sure you understand what made this judgment. Here's the voice of specialness heard clearly, judging against the Christ and setting forth for you the purpose that you can attain and what you cannot do. Forget not that this judgment must apply to what you do with it as your ally. For what you do through Christ, it does not know. To him, this judgment makes no sense at all. For only what his father wills is possible, and there is no alternative for him to see. Out of lack, out of his lack of conflict comes your peace. And from his purpose comes the means for effortless accomplishment and rest. As long as we continue to see one another as separate from the whole and different, we will fear each other. We'll judge condemn and deny the love that was given as a gift to us we are too focused on bodies and forms we are too quick to judge and to see ourselves as separate and alone maybe this life's journey is to find one another and release ourselves from the burden of free will which we miscreate with every day no one who lives in fear is really alive when everything you retain is lovable, there is no reason for fear to remain in you. And now I'm going to go to chapter three, the innocent perception. And on page 49, and I believe I have this marked. I do. On 49, it's called creating verse versus the self image. Paragraph one says, every system of thought must have a starting point. It begins with either a making or a creating, a difference we have already discussed. 
Their resemblance lies in their power as foundations. Their differences lies in what rests upon them. Both are cornerstones for systems of belief by which one lives. It is a mistake to believe that a thought system based on lies is weak. Nothing made by a child of God is without power. It is essential to realize this, because otherwise you will be unable to escape from the prison you have made. Paragraph 2, sentence 4, says the devil is a frightening concept because he seems to be extremely powerful and extremely active. He is perceived as a force in combat with God, battling him for possession of his creations. The devil deceives by lies and, page 50, and builds kingdoms in which everything is in direct opposition to God. Yet he attracts man rather than repels them, and they are willing to sell him their souls in return for gifts of no real worth. This makes absolutely no sense. Paragraph 3 says, We have discussed the fall or separation before, but its meaning must be clearly understood. The separation is a system of thought real enough in time, though not in eternity. All beliefs are real to the believer. The fruit of only one tree was forbidden in this symbolic garden, but God could not have forbidden it or it could not have been eaten. If God knows his children, and I assure you that he does, would he have put them in a position where their own destruction was possible? The forbidden tree was named the tree of knowledge. Yet God created knowledge and gave it freely to his creations. The symbolism here has been given many interpretations, but you may be sure that any interpretation that sees either God or his creations as capable of destroying their own purpose is an error. Paragraph 4 says, Eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge is a symbolic expression for usurping the ability for self-creating. This is the only sense in which God and his creations are not co-creators. Sentence 5 says, knowledge cannot deceive, but perception can. You can perceive yourself as self-creating, but you cannot do more than believe it. You cannot make it true. And as I said before, when you finally perceive correctly, you can only be glad that you cannot. Until then, however, the belief that you can is the foundation stone in your thought system and all your defenses are used to attack the ideas that might bring it to light. You still believe you are an image of your own making. Paragraph 5 says, The mind can make the belief in separation very real and very fearful. And this belief is the devil. It is the powerful, active, destructive, and clearly in opposition to God because it literally denies his fatherhood. Look at life and see what the devil has made. But realize that this making will surely dissolve in the light of truth, because its foundation is a lie. Your creation by God is the only foundation then that, that cannot be shaken, because the light is in it. That's on page 51. Your starting point is truth, and you must return to your beginning. Much has been seen since then, but nothing has really happened. Yourself is still in peace, even though your mind is in conflict. You have not yet gone back far enough, and that is why you become so fearful. Paragraph 6, sentence 5 says, You who fear salvation are choosing death. Life and death, light and darkness, knowledge and perception are irreconcilable. 
To believe that they can be reconciled is to believe that God and his son cannot. Only the oneness of knowledge is free of conflict. Your kingdom is not of this world because it was given you from beyond this world. Our belief systems are at the very core of the of most of our fears. All beliefs are real to the believer. That statement alone implies the control lies with the believer. We know that we can choose to believe whatever we want. We see that in every side we take, on politics and religion, with people. We know we are deciding what our lives could or should be. Yet we have difficulty accepting that we create our fears. Who else does then? So tomorrow, start your day with a declaration of what you want it to look like. Pay attention to your thoughts. They are your thoughts. You control them. The Holy Spirit is here to help. Let her do what she's meant to do. Ask the questions. Ask for assistance. Ask for her help. Continue to sit or stand quietly on your own. Breathe in and out. Listen to your breaths. Then start listening to the sounds around you. If you are having difficulty doing this, then start to name what you see. This will help to focus your mind on what you are seeing right now, in the now. Help control your thoughts and keep them focused on what is happening right now. This is living in the holy instant. As you continue to evaluate your attachments and special relationships, ask yourself, what is it for? What is its purpose in my life's journey? Every human being is on their own journey. It's our faith in believing this and accepting it as our truth that shifts our perception and releases us from detachment. Forgiveness starts by letting go of the past. When you review your thoughts, write down what the main themes are. Whatever the theme is, ask yourself one question in relation to it. What is it for? If you can't find an answer, then it must not be as important as you'd imagined it to be. Why are you trying to relive or review your past? It's over. It's not coming back. And more importantly, it's not happening right now. For those people people who are worrying about what is coming, that is equally distracting of the now. We have no real way of knowing what the future holds. I know everything I've tried to predict outcomes or events, I've already, I've rarely, if ever, I'm correct with that. This is a da- as dangerous as living in the past. There is no peace and joy found in any of those thoughts. Fear does not exist. It is only real to you. You created it and you can undo it. Love is the opposite of fear. If you fear something or someone, then it stems from a lack of love. The Course suggests that the only correction for fear is love. It asks that you do not look at the root of the fear and try to evaluate why it exists. Delving further into fear is just reinforcing its existence and power. It is simply a thought, nothing more. The Course asks that you overcome fear with love. Focus on making love a focal point. Find your self-love, and with the Holy Spirit's guide, you will let your fears go. Next week, I will talk about judgment and how we can relinquish it. Judgment is an ego function and a misunderstanding of the role God has in our lives. Until next week, this is our journey. Keep finding your way. Have an open-minded week. Always love, Denise.